let's get right into the word of God. Let's pick up where we, uh, where we left off. We've got a study going in the uh, book of Psalms. Amen. We've been learning some good stuff about Psalms. God's really been talking to us. And I do hope that um, those of you who are listening, you've had the opportunity to share some of the things that you've been learning, but also more than that, that you are finding occasion to use the things that you're learning. What my prayer is, what the intent is, is that as we go through the Psalms, um, and uh, in particular, Psalms 27 is what we're going through. But as we make our way through the Psalms and kind of dissect this and get down into the nitty gritty of what God was actually talking about, that it's going to transform the way you both see the Psalms and the way that you use the Psalms. The Psalms are meant to be used. And what we're trying to illustrate, what we're trying to show you is, is how to use God's word. It's been more than, we've had more than enough time of just hearing God's word and never doing anything about it. And it's not always because we somebody's lazy or somebody doesn't want to do anything, but oftentimes there is a disparity between, uh, between knowing the word of God and then understanding the word of God. The Lord told us, you know, as people perish, you know, for lack of understanding or lack of knowledge, we don't we, we don't know how to use it. So we're pulling all of the, 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 the shroud off, so to speak, and getting right into where we can actually use it. Now, we are in Psalms 27. Um, uh, verse number one says this, uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Now, you should have that slide um, up already on your screen. You see verses uh, one and verse two. Amen. Um, the Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? And then verse two says, when the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes come came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumble and fail. Now we are going to deep dive into uh, verse number two uh, today, but before we do that, let me just, uh, let me say this. Last week we talked about, uh, we, re we reiterated the concept of salvation, okay? And we know that salvation is a central critical theme throughout the Bible. It's all about salvation. Literally, literally it, the Bible is a record of what our heavenly father, the lengths he went through in order to save the family he created. He created us to be family, to be his, to be part of his family. Sin came in and tore that up. And the idea or the concept that you should have in mind is, is imagine a household where the children go contrary or they go astray. And for whatever reason, things are said, things are done, and the children and the parents become estranged. So nobody's talking to one another. No one spends any time with one another. No one sees you each other on holidays or, or there are no phone calls. There's none of that. There is a total lack of family. Amen. Your family in every sense of the word, externally, but internally. Because, amen, family goes deeper than blood. Blood does not, is not what makes you family. Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? When, when told and presented with, this, uh, re, with, the, with the situation where his mother and his brother were outside and they're waiting for him, Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? And he goes on to declare, it's them that do the will of the father. So it takes more than blood to make you family. Now, with that, there are times where families go astray or families fall apart. Not every family situation is ideal. 
And there are many of us, and some of you on this line can probably either identify personally with it, or you know someone who is who can identify uh, personally with that and with this reality that their family, for all intents and purposes, is broken. It's not what it. It's not what they want it to be. It's not what the. But but things have happened. Things were said. Things were done. And for and for and for uh, one reason or another, the family unit has all but deteriorated to a degree. Now, I want you to, now let me interject something right here, because I don't want to leave this part on the down note, even though I'm going to move a little bit further. It doesn't matter what state your family is in. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And that means that he has the ability to call things back to life. So even if, while I'm discussing this, if that's your situation, I don't want you to go to a place where you're feeling all blue and like, oh, woe is me and all, and, and, and my family's all messed up and everything. Listen, God is greater than the problem in your family and God can restore that. But oftentimes it's going to start with the changes of one person. If you don't ever do anything different, you're not going to ever have anything different. You got to do new things to get new things sometimes. That's just the way that it is. What are you saying, Brother Walker? I'm saying this, that if your family has reached a point or is in a situation where it is not getting along, it is not together, you are not talking and you are not communicating and, and whether you are justified or not in your own mind, listen, somebody gonna have to lay down their arms. Some, at some point, you gonna have to enter a demilitarized zone and somebody is going to have to wave the white flag. That don't mean that, you know what I'm saying, that you just given up, but sometimes you've got to lay, listen, you're going to have to be the one to initiate a civilized conversation. You're going to have to be the one to not respond the way you normally do. Listen, many of us have family members that are unsaved. Amen. And we want them to be saved. You cannot expect those who are not saved to act like those who are saved. And that's subjective because, uh, because many times, even those who are saved be acting up and causing problems, not acting according to the scripture. So what I'm simply saying is, is that you cannot just assume people are going to act spiritual minded and that they're going to do that. No, uh-uh, uh-uh, not, not at all, not at all. Sometimes you are going to have to be the one to pioneer a better conversation and a better way of doing things in your family, which means that you're going to have to say, I'm going to start over. Now, some of you say, well, you know what? I've already done that, Brother Walker, and we still got problems. Guess what? You, listen, <laughs> the disciples even want to know how many times I got to forgive somebody thinking that it was going to be a quota, something that you could just, that you can just, you can, you know, you hit this number and all of a sudden, guess what? You're, you're, you're done. Listen, you ain't never done. You will never be done. As long as there are offenses, you're going to have to, if you're going to be a child of God, you're going to have to operate in the spirit of God, which means that you are going to have to take with you, carry with you, run in, walk in, crawl in, fly in. I don't care what, how you move around, but you're going to have to stay in a spirit or in an attitude of forgiveness. You're going to have to always be ready for reconciliation. You never know when it's going to come, but God is absolutely able. Amen. So we talked about salvation and we, we, we learned that there were these three tenses of salvation, salvation in the physical. We learned about it in the spiritual. We learned about it that salvation also represents a state. Now, last week we've talked about, as we move further towards the end of verse one, we ran across this phrase. The Bible says this, the Lord is the strength 
of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, we already know at this point, and if you're just coming in and you're just joining us and you haven't been a part of this, again, you can download all the previous lessons, but I want to give you a quick little highlight here. The, when David says, of whom shall I be afraid? That question is really almost rhetorical. It's not really meant so much for you to answer it. You can answer it if you like, amen. But you don't have to answer it, so to speak. Why? Because the statement that David gives is strong. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Amen. That statement is the answer to the question of whom shall I fear and whom shall I be afraid? Because as long as the Lord is light and salvation, glory to God. And, and we had a whole study on all that. So I'm not going to get into all of that. But as long as God has light and salvation, and you understand he never changes. He's not going to stop being who he is. This is what it means when he uses the name I am. Moses wanted to know, Lord, who, who, who am I? To, who? Listen, Lord, when I go to Egypt and I and I start talking on your behalf, people gonna want to know what authority I am standing on. How do I have a right to tell these people anything? I have been a fugitive for forty years. I was living good for forty years, and then I was a fugitive for forty years, and now you're sending me back, God. Who these people gonna want to know who it, who sent me? And He said, "Tell them I am have sent thee." Amen. So God, and, and, and we're learning about some of the attributes or characteristics, attributes or uh, are characteristics of God that belong uniquely to God. So you're not going to find them belonging to anyone else. Only God is omnipotent. Only God is omniscient. Only God is omnipresent. Only God has these certain qualities and these characteristics. Amen. Glory to God. And because of that, they are unique to God. We refer to them often as attributes of God. This is what makes him different from you, okay? We don't have all of these things in and of ourselves. No, but God does. And that makes him all the way uniquely different than anybody, anything else that you might find. There is no comparison to the Lord Jesus. Amen. There's no comparison. There's no, there, there's no alternative. There's no, there, there's, there's no second version, so to speak. There's no, God is in a class all by himself. There's nobody that stands with him. There's nobody that's beside him. There, listen, God is God all by himself. He's perfect. He's absolute. He is glorious. He is absolutely magnificent. And there is no one to compare God to. Nobody moves like God. Nobody talks like God. Nobody does what God does. And, 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 we, and he's able to do these things. Why? Because there are things about God that only belong to him. These are the attributes of God. David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And as long as God is that, there will, brothers and sisters, I've said it before and I'm saying it again, there will be nobody that you have to fear. You're not going to have to, you know, you know, duck and run and all that other kind of stuff. No, 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 no. You don't have to run. You don't have to cower. You do not need to hide. Uh-uh. Stand up. Stand tall. Square your shoulders. Let this world know who it is that you serve. And listen, and if they don't like it, listen, serve God now and ask permission to serve God later. Serve him while you have breath. Give God the best that you have while you got a chance. 
to give it. Let God split the difference. If people got a problem with it, that's their problem. Got to deal with all of that. So as long as God's strength is light and salvation, you won't have anybody to fear. Now, we ended last week. We said this. Uh, the B portion of Psalms 27, verse number one, says the Lord is the strength of my life. And we said we, that that's a very strong term. Amen. That's a very strong term. It's a strong description and it's used. Okay. Um, strength of my life is used um, as a description of God physical or his ability to be physical salvation. Amen. But when we take it a bit further, because God is our physical salvation, and that is what David was talking about he, when he said the Lord is my salvation, he wasn't just talking about spiritual, and he wasn't just talking about the state of being, uh, being saved, but he was literally talking about God is physically my salvation. And we discovered that when you talk about God being your physical salvation, then that automatically brings in all the things that you may run across in the natural. You may get sick sometimes in body. You may be disappointed at times. You may find discouragement at times. You may find times that are lean. There will be times where you don't have the money you need or the resources and all of these different things. These are natural things, brothers and sisters. These are natural things, things that are in the world. These are tangible things. You might actually not have this, or you might actually not have that. When David says the Lord is my salvation, he was talking about it from a physical standpoint. So those things that we all often run into in the natural that can be problematic, he's trying to tell you that God is God even over that. Many times we run into problems because we treat God as though he only has the ability to do something about the mind or the spirit. And we, and we, but when it comes to the physical and the natural, we so willingly want to go off of what we see. We have that mentality that Thomas had. After the resurrection, he's like, you know what? I, I'm not going to believe unless I see him. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to believe unless I, unless I see him. I need to see it for myself. And then here comes Jesus. Put your hand in my side. Put your fingers here in my nail prints. Here come Thomas all, all of a sudden having a revelation. My Lord and my God. Glory to God right there, having a revelation in that moment. And the Lord telling, saying something, telling us very, revealing something very profound. You know what, Tommy, you blessed, man, because, because you, you, you seen and you believe, but blessed are they who have not seen, but believe. David was saying that God is a God, not just of the spiritual, not just of the mental and emotional, but he's a God of the physical. Are you dealing with physical uh, ailments of any kind? Listen, ain't no, there ain't no type of ailment that's off limit from the power of God. There's no type of, of, of thing that you can run into that all of a sudden God is short-circuited and he can't do something. Hold on. God is a God of the hills, of the valleys, of the mountains, of the rivers, of the ocean. There is not one area, one circumstance in, or, or environment where God ceases to be God. He is God all by himself everywhere he goes, everywhere he goes. And when he comes, and listen, he's going to be God 
when he steps into your mental state, when your mind is broken and when your heart is, is despair, he's going to be God when he steps in. But also when you in that bed, when you're in that room of that bed of affliction, when you are dealing with physical ailments or, or, or physical things, it doesn't matter what it is, the lack of natural resources, when God steps into that situation, and I invite you to invite him in. Because when he comes in, listen, when God steps in, nothing stays the same. Glory to God. Nothing stays the same. When you hear God, when you glorify God, when we do these things and invite him in and invite his presence into into our room and into what we're doing and all of these things, there is no one who is more qualified to help you out in any situation than God. Amen. He says, the Lord is the strength of my life. And what we learned is, is that that word strength of my life or that phrase simply meant that God is the source of, uh, didn't mean strength in the sense of a power source. That's not what he's talking about. So don't, I don't, don't think plugging a, a, a plug into an outlet, not like that, but more so in the realm of a source of refuge. And we discovered that when we break all of that stuff down, it's not any type of refuge. The refuge that we're talking about is that of a fortress. Amen. And so when he says the Lord is the strength of my life, he was saying that the Lord is a fortress. And I want you to imagine yourself in, just in the middle of a field, Okay, and then all of a sudden, a fortress is built around you. You are just sitting there, but around you, walls are erected and, and towers and, and, and all of these things. An entire fortress is built around and for the purpose of securing you. And that is the picture that David is trying to get across. We also said, though, but it goes a step further, not just any fortress. But the Bible is talking about the literally the strength of my life can literally be translated or looked at as meaning a mountain stronghold. Glory to God. Not just a stronghold, but a mountain stronghold. And that's different because that's a strong, not only am I fortified, am I secure? Not only are you fortified, are you secure? All right. In this fortress, who is the fortress? God himself is the fortress. He is the wall. The Bible says the angel of the Lord encampeth round about me. We learned that in Psalms, uh, in Psalms 34. Now, not only are you surrounded, your life, your physical life. Now, keep in mind, this is from the physical. This is from the physical. All of this applies in the spiritual. Yes, it does. But David is driving a point home here. And he's driving, he's trying, he, he is taught, he's connecting the, nat the natural to the spiritual. He's trying to show you and he's establishing that God is still God in all situations. That it is not just the intangible things that God is God over, but the tangible things also, he's God over that too. So it means a mountain stronghold. This stronghold is not just built around me to fortify me and to protect me, amen, glory to God. But it is also positioned up high to where I have the vantage point or I have the high ground. And that is a powerful 
statement that is being made. The Lord is the strength of my life. You can literally say the Lord is the mountain stronghold that surrounds my life because the life that he's talking about is in the natural. The Lord is my security blanket. He's my fortress. He is my wall. He's my tower. He's my defense. And not only that, but it is high and it's lifted up. It is a mountain stronghold. It is an elevated stronghold. It is a place where I can see the enemy coming a mile away. And we can see the enemy coming a mile away as long as we do what the word tells us to do, which is to what? Watch and pray. Amen. Amen. Watch and pray. Why? So that you don't enter into temptation. Glory to God. So we learn those things. Now, I want you to look at something because now we're going to dig into something a little bit, a little bit deeper. And this is going to challenge you. I'm, I'm telling you right now, this is going to challenge you because you're going to need to look at some things that you don't traditionally look at. And you're going to have to start being careful about some things that we are not normally careful about. Look at verse number two. The Bible says this, when the wicked even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. So what I want to do here, let's take a deep dive into this, into, into, uh, into this statement. And we want to take these three things. We're going to deal with the wicked. We're going to deal with the enemy. And we're going to deal with the foes because we're going to find out who all that is. Because that's a whole lot of stuff that David is playing in this, in this, in this, in this psalm of, of, lamenta of lamentation. He, he, listen, he has listed out some things here. He said the wicked, he said the enemies, and he said my foes. And these folks are coming up to, to, to eat up my flesh. That means they come to, to consume me. But who are these people? Who is the wicked? Who is the enemies? Who are the foes? What is actually being referenced here? Now, what I don't want to do is I'm not, I'm not for, I'm not so much as concerned, but going as going into all of the natural enemies, okay, uh, that were surrounding him. But I, what I want to talk about is what these words actually mean, because they highlight some things. Now, take a look at this. The wicked. Let's start there. Who are the wicked, according to this scripture, okay? Now, we have a variety of different words and different meanings for it, but there are some things that I want you to understand about this, okay? Now, the word wicked here, okay? It means, it means in essence, it means to make or to be good for nothing, okay? So I want you to keep in mind, he says, when the wicked, and these are part of the people who came up against him. He says, when the wicked, and when he said the wicked, what he was talking about, he says, them who were good for nothing, okay? But not just that, not just good for, not just good for nothing for the sake of being good for nothing, no, but good for nothing in the sense that they are bad physically or socially or morally, okay? So the wicked is a per, is a, this is not just the person, okay? Okay, it doesn't just have to be uh, uh, um, an average, uh, 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 an average person or a person who's just simply good for nothing for the strength of that alone. No, what makes this person good for nothing is is that they are bad. Okay, they are corrupted, so to speak, physically, socially, or morally. It can be in any one of those areas, and it can be in all of those areas. Amen. Now, the sense of this word. 
that David is trying to get across or that God is trying to get across is, is that the wicked is actually, you can actually substitute that word for the word evildoer, okay? Now, who is an evildoer? Because most of the time, we look at everybody else as the evildoers. But by the time we're done with this, it's going to take on a whole different meaning, a whole different understanding as we get into it. The word wicked here can be, is in the sense of a evildoer. And an evildoer, what this really simply means or is trying to convey is simply that someone who does evil deliberately. Uh-oh. Someone who does evil deliberately. That is what is meant by wicked or a evildoer, okay? Especially someone who deserves to be punished for their acts. So an evildoer or a wicked person in the sense of what David is using it here is in the sense of someone who is or who does evil deliberately and is worthy of being punished for their acts or their actions. Now, let's learn about this wicked or about a wicked person because we want to we need to understand who that is. Because at by the end of this you we're going to have to do some self-examination. Okay? Listen, the Bible says teaches us he says the he says when the wicked, all right? Now, a wicked person is not always a person who does not believe in God. And that challenges some of what we have traditionally learned or have come to believe. We think of an evildoer, we think of a wicked person as someone who does not believe in God, almost like an atheist. Man, that is also a, the technical name for a person who does not believe in God. But a wicked person, brothers and sisters, is not always a person who does not believe in God but rather he or she is always a person who disobeys God. I'm going to say that again. A wicked person is not always a person who does not believe in God. They're not always that kind of person, but they are always, regardless of the variety, regardless of the flavor of their wickedness, 31 different flavors, doesn't matter about all of that. They are always a person who disobeys God. Look at Malachi chapter four, verse number one. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And that day, and the day that, that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Amen. Whether or not they intend, listen, a wicked person is not always a person who does not believe in God, but they are always a person who disobeys God, even if they purposely intend to do it or not. Your intent for disobedience does not matter. It's not, it, it's, it does not alone constitute whether or not a person is wicked. Whether a person intends to do it on purpose or you just didn't know, but you're doing wrong deliberately. Amen. So in other words, what do you mean by that? I mean that there are some people that are doing wrong. They know what they're doing is wrong, 
but they don't have an idea, but because they don't have a God conscious, because they don't know anything about God whatsoever, it never crosses their mind that they are doing wrong towards God. They don't think that way. They are, they don't get me wrong. They intend to do wrong, but they don't realize that their wrong is also violating God. So you have some people who are, they all intend to do, they intend to do the wrong thing. A wicked person is someone who intends to do the wrong thing, but that person is not always someone who is a believer, or excuse me, who is a non-believer. Amen. Because they intend to do wrong. In other words, they intend to do wrong on purpose. And because they intend to be to do wrong on purpose, regardless of whether they are trying to offend God or not, it doesn't matter whether you're trying to offend God or not. If you are doing wrong on purpose, that will categorize you as wicked. Amen. Now, a wicked person can, we're building on this, either can also be a believer. A lot of people didn't realize that. A wicked person can be a believer, but let me qualify what we mean by that. A believer, we're talking about in the sense of mental assent. What do I mean? This is a person who just simply believes, they believe that there is a God. They may not know nothing about God but they believe that there is a God. They believe in God. They don't, you know, you can believe in God and not believe God. Amen. There are people who are on the outside. They they believe that there is a God. That is mental assent. That is you accepting the reality. People have the ability. Listen, people have the ability. Bible says God has given every given to every man the measure of faith. Everybody has the ability to believe in something. And there are people who believe in God, but they don't believe in the one true God. Amen. So a wicked person can be a believer. It can be a person who believes that there is a God. As an example of that, look at Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Take a look at that. Isaiah 29 and 13 says this, wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me. Look at the language of the scripture. He says with, with, he says with their mouth, they're saying the words. And with their lips, they're talking the talk. But look at how he ends it. But have removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of man, meaning that they're going through tradition. Everything that they're doing is cosmetic. On the outside, they seem to believe. Look at Jesus echo the same thing. Look at Matthew chapter 15, verse number eight. He echoes the same thing. He says, this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth. They're talking the game. They're, they're talking the talk and honor me with their, with their lips. Their speech is full of the things and talking about God. He says, but their heart is far from me. That is mental ascent. On that's cause I believe on a certain level. But I am not all the way, but I'm not all, but I'm not all in when it comes to God. And I'm challenging somebody to examine themselves. Are you all in when it comes to God? Are you, are you talking it, but you're not walking it? We got COVID happening and all these things and, and a lot of shelter in place. And some of these restrictions are being, list, are, are being lifted. But what is the content of your character? 
What has it been as you have been going throughout this? Have you been drawing closer to God or have you been finding occasion to become more carnal and walk away from God? Are you, when, 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 when things have not gone the way that, they, that we wanted them to go and they haven't gone that way as of recently, are you still all in with God when the services are being streamed and, and maybe you can't get together like we used to, we can't congregate like we were at first. And, and I believe those days will come again, but for right now, God has made things that are available to you, whether you're streaming or whatever else it is. Are you using what God has made available? Are you seeking the word? Are you seeking to hear his precepts and his statutes and his judgments? Or are you finding an excuse or occasion to become just a little bit more carnal? See, because the truest tra travesty of all of this is, is that when we do come back together, we come back together and you are further away from God than you were before all of these restrictions, restrictions were put in place. That is a shame. And that and such a thing, brothers and sisters, ought not to be said about us. This type of reality should not be named among us. We got absolutely no excuse to be further away from God because we couldn't felt, listen, the church is not a building, not a physical building. Glory to God. The church is not a physical building. Everywhere you go, the church is are the people of God. It is the blood washed, water baptized field with the Holy Ghost believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the church. Church happens wherever you go. There should not be a situation where you say, man, I wish we could have church. Will you tell me why you're not having church? Because you are the church. And anytime you get in the prayer room and you get in that word, you ought to be having church. So there is no excuse for us to not have church. We should absolutely be having church. But a wicked person can be a person who believes on the outside, cosmetically, with words. They go through the motion. They talk the talk and all of this kind of stuff. But as the Lord said, they honoring me with their mouth and with their lips, but they heart. No, he said, I don't have that. That heart is far from me. And I, and we, and, and brothers, we got to take some time and we got to examine ourselves. Is your heart away from God? Now, a wicked person can also be, now here's, now here's, we're going to add, we're going to add some, we're going to add to this because it's getting heavier. So we know now that a person, a wicked person doesn't necessarily have to, is not always a non-believer. Okay. No, no. But they are always a person who is disobedient to God. Disobedient to God means that you are what? A transgressor. And a transgressor, amen, is one who breaks the law. Amen. The Bible, and one who transgresses the law or breaks the law is a one who commits sin. In fact, First uh, John tells us that, or teaches us that very plainly, that sin is the transgression of the law. If you didn't know what sin is, sin is the transgression of the law. And transgression simply means to break the law, which in essence means that you are a criminal. I am a criminal. When you sin, you commit a crime. We don't look at it that way, but that's the way God sees it. When you sin, you are committing a crime. When you commit a crime, you become a what? Criminal. 
And that is what, that is why we use the analogy when you get baptized in the name of Jesus, what's happening? He is dropping the rap sheet against you. Why? Because you are a criminal. I am a criminal who has a rap sheet. I got a list of crimes all attached to my name. And when I get washed in the blood of the lamb, you got to understand all my charges getting dropped right then and there. All of them getting dropped. So that's why we use that analogy that way. We also learned that the person, a wicked person, can be can be a believer on the outside, a, a, a or a non-believer, just mental ascent. And the Lord told us. We just looked at Isaiah twenty-nine. But a wicked person, did you know this, can also be a true believer, a true believer who's turned from his righteousness. And that's a whole nother level right there. A wicked person can also be a true believer who's turned from his righteousness. Now, listen, if he's a true believer and he has not turned, he's not going to be wicked. She's not going to be wicked. But a true believer, that what am I talking about? I'm talking about that person who water baptized, washed in the blood of the Lamb, Holy Ghost filled. I'm talking about a person who's gone through Acts 2.38. So you got the real deal, not no Mickey Mouse salvation. I'm talking about the real deal salvation as according to scripture. That kind of salvation that when somebody asks you, how do you, is it, how do you know that you've been saved? You don't have to stand there and say, oh, I got goosebumps. Oh, you know what? Because I feel good because it burned like lightning and it moved like fire. And I was like, oh, hold on. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. That ain't how you know that you saved. I know that I'm saved according to the scripture. When somebody asks me, how do I know that I'm saved? I pull out Acts 2.38 and I go down the line and I itemize that thing. I say, you see what happened here? That happened to me. That's what you base your salvation on. You look for that. Don't look for something different. Don't look for something new and don't look for something unique. And certainly don't look for something that somebody done translated for you and told you. No, you go off of what that word says. Don't base your salvation on any, look at that. All that's flimsy. It's not going to support you. It's not going to hold your weight. It's not going to last. Why? Because all of that is predicated on how you see yourself and how you feel in one day. And last time I checked, there are days when you're not going to feel safe. There are going to be times where you're not feeling as strong about it. That's why your salvation got to be based on something stronger than the way you feel. Because I'm going to have some dark days. I'm going to have some days of disappointment. And brothers and sisters, you are too. There are going to be times where you drop the ball and you are going to feel about as far away from God as you can possibly get. But you got to know in that hour that he who has begun a good work will complete it. You got to know that the work is done. See, listen, on that cross, when Jesus said it is finished, listen, that was God accepting his own work. Not him accepting you, your work, or what you are able to do. He accepted his own work. Salvation is based on the strength of the completed work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why it's firm. That's why it sticks. That is why it works. And it's going to keep on working. It's going to keep on working. It's going to work from start to finish, from top to bottom. It's going to work while here, and it's going to keep working until you get all the way to glory land. When you get to where God is trying to take you, let me tell you something. It's going to be because of a salvation that lasted you through every age, through every dark time, through every scenario. I'm talking about the real deal salvation, not that fake stuff. Get that out of here. We don't want any of that. We want the real deal as according. We want, a, we want that salvation that is backed up, that is supported, that is founded by the word of God. Don't look for your salvation in anything else because there is no salvation in any other name. 
brothers and sisters. I got to put it like that because it is just like that. Salvation cannot be found in anybody else. David was saying the Lord is my salvation and he is my salvation from top to bottom, from start to finish, in and out, through and through. He is my salvation. He is the savior of my mind and my soul and my physical being. Glory to God. So you got to understand all these things and we got to keep those things in mind. So a wicked person, if we continue with this, they can also be a true believer, but it is only a believer who's turned from his righteousness. Now, some people have a problem with that because they love to think that once saved, you always saved. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And all it is is an excuse to allow people to feel comfortable to continue in sin. Listen, Jesus said you got to be faithful unto death. You have got to finish the way that you start. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 23 and 24. And I invite you, brothers and sisters, to read all of Ezekiel chapter 18. Oh, man, I'm telling you. Because if ever you was in the mindset that, all, that, that, that no matter, that once saved, always saved, let me tell you something. Ezekiel 18 will set you straight. It will, it will it'll, it'll help you figure out what you lost on. Because it helped me figure out. It, it made it plain. It brought it to a point or to a place where it was clear, okay? And I'm not going to go over all of it, but I do want to at least highlight 18, 23, and 24. It says this, have I any pleasure? Now, this is God talking. He's talking through the prophet now. And when God is talking, everybody ought to listen. This is what he says. He says, have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? You know what? Let me let me let me stop right there because I, I I feel oh I feel like a, a sermon coming on just almost in this right here and and I'm I'm not gonna move too quick on this. I know this is we we're a little bit away from songs, but we got to dig into this. Listen, this world will have you twisted, thinking that God do does not care, that God is sitting back somewhere just ready to throw thunderbolts at people and all that other kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. The word of God says right here, God is saying, I have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live. He is asking a rhetorical question. He, he's, he's asking all those who got something negative to say about the intention of God, painting them out to be a picture as though God is somewhere off just trying to punish people, and that's all that he's about. Listen, God created you to worship him. He created you to be family. He didn't create you to lose you, and the world will lie to you and present an image that God does not care, that he's far off, that he's just abandoned his creation. But he's telling you right here in Ezekiel chapter 18, he don't have no pleasure in that. That's not his intention, and that is not his goal. Even in your messed up state, and if, you are, listen, if you're listening to this right now, and you have not, and you don't have the Holy Ghost, you have not been saved, you ain't been baptized, you, you don't have any of it. You didn't do what Acts 2.38 says. If you're listening to this, or you know somebody, and I want you to share it with them, who does, who does not have this, listen, the world may have told you that you don't matter and that you have gone too far and that there is no coming back. But the Bible tells us that God is married to the backslider. You may have lost your way. You may have lost your direction. 
You may be going in a total different direction. And yes, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You are worthy of hell, just like I am worthy of hell. We are all worthy of hell. But there is a God, the only one true and living God, who still, after all of the dirt and the filth and all of the vile behavior that we carry on, the wickedness that we operate in as if it is going out of style, when we sin recklessly and without abandon, there is still a God who says, I love you. Who says, I went to a cross for you. There is still somebody who still, after all of your foolishness, all of my ridiculousness, that he says, have I any pleasure that the wicked should die? Now, he should, look, God would be in his right to just throw the book and cancel it. Be like, you know what, you're done. And he could. But right here, he's telling you, God don't have no pleasure in that. I'm trying to tell you, God wants to save you still, even if you feel like you're not worth saving. You're right. You're not. I'm not. Never was. Never will be. But I'm so glad that I serve a God who loved me in spite of me. And do you know that that God who loved me in spite of me loves you in spite of you? And I hope you hear him calling you back because that's what's happening right now. God is calling you back. He's calling you front and center. He's calling you to rise to the occasion. He's calling you to own your sin and come back to God. Brothers and sisters, how long are you going to choose death? How long are you going to choose to fight against God? There is no victory in that. That is a fight you can't win. And every time you and I decide to do it our way instead of God's way, you're wasting time. Paul had to learn this, this very lesson before he was converted, before, he, before his name was changed. Jesus had to step in and tell him, Saul, why are you kicking against the prince? It is hard for thee. Why are you fighting? Why are you pushing? Why are you resisting so hard? Is sin that good to you that you are willing to trade your soul? Is it so fun that you're willing to burn for eternity? God's calling you back. I'm telling you right now. You got to put down that sin. You got to change your mind. You're not going to heaven the way that you are. You got to be blood washed and water baptized. You got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And let me tell you something. And when you get filled with that Holy Ghost, God don't leave that up to interpretation. No, you're going to speak with other tongues. I'm telling you, it's going to happen the way it happened in the book of Acts. And it ain't going to be no different. It's going to be the same thing. Your salvation got to be like the Bible says it. Not like somebody else going to tell you. You got to be blood washed and water baptized. I'm preaching to somebody. I know I'm supposed to be teaching, but it all gets blurred together. When God starts moving, God is calling for somebody. Are you going to answer? Are you listening? Are you hearing him calling you back to the middle? You're going too far to the left and you have gone too far to the right. You got to abandon your ways and you got to come to God. You got to humble yourself. You got to own up to your sin. You got to let all that trash and all that stuff go because that ain't going. It is not going to make it. And as long as you hold on to it, you're not going to make it. But there is a God that is able to take and to chisel and to chip and to break off everything that you don't need. Paul said, lay aside every weight that so easily besets you. What if I can't let it go? Paul, what if I can't let go? I'm trying to tell you what's impossible with me and it's possible with God. You don't have to be strong.
strong. You just have to be loyal. You just have to be faithful. God will do the rest. God is always doing the rest because that's what he does. That's another characteristic. God is immutable. It means he don't change. And God been making ways out of no way before you got here. And he's going to be making ways out of no way when you long and gone. God is God all by himself. And he loves you. He says, I have no pleasure at all. That the, have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live. Verse 24 says this, but when, tells us, but when the righteous turn it away from his righteousness. When the righteous turneth away from his righteousness. Hear what I'm telling you. That's a man who is saved. That is a woman who is saved. That is that person who got what God is trying to give, but then they turn away from. It. He says, and committed iniquity, and doth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth. Shall he live? Look at God said it all straight all his righteousness that he have done shall not be mentioned. So those of us who got that mindset, well, you know what? It's going to balance out in the end. No, it ain't. It is not going to balance out at all. You got to stay on the Lord's side all the way to the end. You can't keep yourself, but he can keep you. Oh, yes, he can. He can keep you. He's been keeping our brothers and sisters and, and forefathers in the faith. Listen, they made it because he brought them, not because they walked in and got this thing right. Uh-uh, listen, hold on. Abraham made it because of God. Moses made it because of God. Paul and the apostles, they all made it because of God. How are you going to make it? You also are going to have to make it because of God and through God alone. You're not going to do it on your own. Look at what he says here. And doth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live. All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed and in his sin that he hath sinned, in them shall he die. I told you, a wicked person can be a true believer who has turned from his or her righteousness. The wicked also, I want to make this plain. The wicked also absolutely will not prosper. How long are we going to entertain this idea and this concept, these thoughts that have us believing that we somehow gonna get away with it. You're not gonna get away with it. No one wins in the game of sin. The wages of sin is death. That is the consequence. That is the only outcome. There will be no other outcome to that. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verse 13. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 13. This is good this morning. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow. Because why? He feareth not before God. What does that mean? It means he don't reverence God. It means he don't respect God. It means he don't take God seriously. And what did he say? He said that, he said, <laughs> but it shall not be well with the wicked. Now that's a strong language. Solomon here is writing this. And, and, and he said, it shall not be well with the wicked. And, and brothers and sisters, you got to take note of something like that. Why? Because what he's trying to tell you is that he's telling you ahead of time right now that your plan to deliberately do the wrong thing is not going to work out. <laughs> Basically is what he's saying. So if you intend it, because remember, a wicked person is a person. It's not a person who just, who, who, who makes a mistake. That we're not talking. That's not a, the wicked person. A person who makes a mistake. A person who drops the ball. That's not, no, no, no. A wicked person, keep in mind the context. The person here, whether they come in the believer or non-believer variety, what they have in, and what they have in common is, is two things. One, they disobey God. And two, they do evil deliberately, okay? Not accidentally, deliberately. And that's a distinction. You've got to keep that. We are talking about deliberate, okay? When you walk in the path of deliberate sin, you are walking the path of the wicked man. I'm going to say it again. When you walk the path of deliberate sin, sinning on purpose, I'm just going to do it. I know it's wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. I know it's wrong, but ain't nobody going to see me. I know it's wrong, but there's no way I can get caught. I know it's wrong, but you guess what? I'm going to get away with it. Let, listen here. Solomon telling you something different. God's telling you something different. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 13, he's telling you right now. He said, it shall not be well with the wicked. That means it ain't going to work out. Neither shall he prolong his days. In other words, he said, guess what? Not only is it not going to work out, but you, but, but, but it's, it's like, but you know, but you ain't going to have a long time to, 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 to to operate in such foolish behavior. No, 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 no. Listen, if you want your days to be prematurely cut, God wants you, I believe that God wants us to, you know what I'm saying, that God wants us to live a life that is full. Now, full is relative because God determines what that is. And that fullness will include ups and downs. But God wants us to live a full life not a prematurely cut short life. And when you're operating sin, listen, you cutting you, let me tell you, I'm gonna tell you right now, you cutting, you shortening your days. Is what the Bible's teaching. You are shortening your days. Why? Because God ain't, because listen, because God is absolutely not getting ready. To, he ain't gonna continue to put up with deliberate sin. Amen. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 21. See, wickedness don't pay. And it, 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 it never paid other than in, in death, because the wages of sin is death. That's the, that's the tender. That's the, that's the currency that you get for, for, for sin. You get death. And, 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 and when, you're with, and when we, we are wicked and walking in wickedness, that's what we're engaging in is sin. Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 11, chapter 20, verse 21 says this, though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. Look at that. This is a strong language. He said, though hand join in hand. Look, I, it, what he's telling you here, amen. Solomon, again, what he's telling you here 
is that it don't matter what, how good the intentions of the wicked might, they, they try to deceive themselves. And it don't matter how many of them yoke up together to do because they have come together. It don't matter how many come together. When you come together to do the wrong thing, and I'm challenging somebody, are you yoking up and fellowshipping with people who all they do is encourage you to do the wrong thing and then you find yourself doing the wrong thing simply because of the, co the company that you keep? You better wake up. Brother and sister, you had better wake up. Bible says, though you join hand in hand, that means you yoked up with people doing all kinds of stuff. He said, the wicked shall not be unpunished. That means you're not getting away with it. It don't matter. Ain't no, ain't no safety in numbers. Not when it comes to wickedness. Ain't, no, ain't, ain't going to be no thing where God just don't see you. No, he's going to see you. And finally, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9 says this. He will keep the feet of his saints. Amen. And the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For, the, for by strength shall no man prevail. Amen. God will keep the righteous. He will keep the saints. But that wicked person, no, they're not going to make it that way. Wow. <laughs>